Section eight of a book of Sibyls by Anne Thackeray Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Miss Edgeworth, Part One. Exceeding wise, fair spoken, and persuading, Henry the Eighth. Early days. Few authoresses in these days can have enjoyed the ovations and attentions which seem to have been considered the due of many of the ladies distinguished at the end of the last century and the beginning of this one. To read the accounts of the receptions and compliments which fell to their lot may well fill later and lesser luminaries with envy. Crowds opened to admit them, banquets spread themselves out before them, lights were lighted up and flowers were scattered at their feet dukes editors prime ministers waited their convenience on their staircases whole theatres rose up en masse to greet the gifted creatures of this and that immortal tragedy the authoresses themselves to do them justice seem to have been very little dazzled by all this excitement hannah moore contentedly retires with her maiden sisters to the parnassus on the mendip hills where they sew and chat and make tea and teach the village children dear joanna bailey modest and beloved lives on to peaceful age in her pretty old house at hampstead looking through tree-tops and sunshine and clouds towards distant london out there where all the storms are i heard the children saying yesterday as they watched the overhanging gloom of smoke which veils the city of metropolitan thunders and lightning maria edgeworth's apparitions as a literary lioness in the rush of london and of paris society were but interludes in her existence and her real life was one of constant exertion and industry spent far away in an irish home among her own kindred and occupations and interests we may realize what these were when we read that mr edgeworth had no less than four wives who all left children and that maria was the eldest daughter of the whole family besides this we must also remember that the father whom she idolized was himself a man of extraordinary powers brilliant in conversation so i have been told full of animation of interest of plans for his country his family for education and literature for mechanics and scientific discoveries that he was a gentleman widely connected hospitably inclined with a large estate and many tenants to overlook with correspondence and acquaintances all over the world and besides all this with various schemes in his brain to be eventually realized by others of which velocipedes tramways and telegraphs were but a few of the items one could imagine that under these circumstances the hurry and excitement of london life must have sometimes seemed tranquillity itself compared with the many and absorbing interests of such a family what these interests were may be gathered from the pages of a very interesting memoir from which the writer of this essay has been allowed to quote it is a book privately printed and written for the use of her children by the widow of richard lovell edgeworth and is a record among other things of a faithful and most touching friendship between maria and her father's wife a friendship lasting for over fifty years and unbroken by a single cloud of difference or mistrust mrs edgeworth who was miss beaufort before her marriage and about the same age as miss edgeworth unconsciously reveals her own most charming and unselfish nature as she tells her stepdaughter's story 
when the writer looks back upon her own childhood it seems to her that she lived in company with a delightful host of little playmates bright busy clever children whose cheerful presence remains more vividly in her mind than that of many of the real little boys and girls who used to appear and disappear disconnectedly as children do in childhood when friendship and companionship depend almost entirely upon the convenience of grown-up people now and again came little cousins or friends to share our games but day by day constant and unchanging ever to be relied upon smiled our most lovable and friendly companions simple susan lame jervis talbot the dear little merchants jem the widow's son with his arms round old lightfoot's neck the generous ben with his whipcord and useful proverb of waste not want not all of these were there in the window corner waiting our pleasure after parents assistant to which familiar words we attached no meaning whatever came popular tales in big brown volumes off a shelf in the lumber-room of an apartment in an old house in paris and as we opened the books lo creation widened to our view england ireland america turkey the mines of golconda the streets of baghdad thieves travellers governesses natural philosophy and fashionable life were all laid under contribution and brought interest and adventure to our humdrum nursery corner all mr edgeworth's varied teaching and experience all his daughter's genius of observation came to interest and delight our playtime and that of a thousand other little children in different parts of the world people justly praise miss edgeworth's admirable stories and novels but from prejudice and early association these beloved childish histories seem unequalled still and it is chiefly as a writer for children that we venture to consider her here some of the stories are indeed little idols in their way walter scott who best knew how to write for the young so as to charm grandfathers as well as hugh littlejohn esq and all the grandchildren is said to have wiped his kind eyes as he put down simple susan a child's book says a reviewer of those days defining in the quarterly review should be not merely less dry less difficult than a book for grown-up people but more rich in interest more true to nature more exquisite in art more abundant in every quality that replies to childhood's keener and fresher perception children like facts they like short vivid sentences that tell the story as they listen intently so they read every word has its value for them it has been a real surprise to the writer to find on re-reading some of these descriptions of scenery and adventure which she had not looked at since her childhood that the details which she had imagined spread over much space are contained in a few sentences at the beginning of a page these sentences however show the true art of the writer it would be difficult to imagine anything better suited to the mind of a very young person than these pleasant stories so complete in themselves so interesting so varied the description of jervis's escape from the mine where the miners had plotted his destruction almost rises to poetry in its simple diction lame jervis has warned his master of the miners plot and showed him the vein of ore which they have concealed the miners have sworn vengeance against him and his life is in danger 
his master helps him to get away and comes into the room before daybreak bidding him rise and put on the clothes which he has brought i followed him out of the house before anybody else was awake and he took me across the fields towards the high road at this place we waited till we heard the tinkling of the bells of a team of horses here comes the wagon said he in which you are to go so fare you well jervis i shall hear how you go on and i only hope you will serve your next master whoever he may be as faithfully as you have served me i shall never find so good a master was all i could say for the soul of me i was quite overcome by his goodness and sorrow at parting with him as i then thought for ever the description of the journey is very pretty the morning clouds began to clear away i could see my master at some distance and i kept looking after him as the wagon went on slowly and he walked fast away over the fields then the sun begins to rise the wagoner goes on whistling but lame jervis to whom the rising sun was a spectacle wholly surprising starts up exclaiming in wonder and admiration the wagoner bursts into a loud laugh lord o marcy says he to hear un and look at un a body would think the oaf had never seen the sun rise afore upon which jervis remembers that he is still in cornwall and must not betray himself and prudently hides behind some parcels only just in time for they meet a party of miners and he hears his enemy's voice hailing the wagoner all the rest of the day he sits within and amuses himself by listening to the bells of the team which jingle continually on our second day's journey however i ventured out of my hiding-place i walked with the wagoner up and down the hills enjoying the fresh air the singing of the birds and the delightful smell of the honeysuckles and the dog-roses in the hedges all the wild flowers and even the weeds on the bank by the wayside were to me matters of wonder and admiration at almost every step i paused to observe something that was new to me and i could not help feeling surprised at the insensibility of my fellow-traveller who plodded along and seldom interrupted his whistling except to cry gee blackbird ah woe or how now smiler then jervis is lost in admiration before a plant whose stem was about two feet high and which had a round shining purple beautiful flower and the wagoner with a look of scorn exclaims help thee lad dost not thou know tis a common thistle after this he looks upon jervis as nearly an idiot in truth i believe i was a droll figure for my hat was stuck full of weeds and of all sorts of wild flowers and both my coat and waistcoat pockets were stuffed out with pebbles and funguses then comes plymouth harbour jervis ventures to ask some questions about the vessels to which the wagoner answers there be nothing in life but the boats and ships man so he turned away and went on chewing a straw and seemed not a whit more moved to admiration than he had been at the sight of the thistle i conceived a high admiration of a man who had seen so much that he could admire nothing says jervis with a touch of real humour another most charming little idol is that of simple susan who was a real maiden living in the neighbourhood of edgeworth town the story seems to have been mislaid for a time in the stirring events of the first irish rebellion and overlooked like some little daisy by a battlefield few among us will not have shared mr edgeworth's partiality for the charming little tale 
the children fling their garlands and tie up their violets susan bakes her cottage loaves and gathers marigolds for broth and tends her mother to the distant tune of philip's pipe coming across the fields as we read the story again it seems as if we could almost scent the fragrance of the primroses and the double violets and hear the music sounding above the children's voices and the bleatings of the lamb so simply and delightfully is the whole story constructed among all miss edgeworth's characters few are more familiar to the world than that of susan's pretty pet lamb End of section eight.